Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. In today's show, we cover the biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, including F1 Sprint on to next year's calendar, there's Joe Place like home at Alpha. Is it too late to say sorry for Silverstone? Is Piastri following in Schumacher's footsteps? And could 2023 be the year for Aston Martin? Hello, my name is Don Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek new show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Every Wednesday we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. This show is brought to you by the news team at Formula Nerds. Keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I'm James and I'll be your pilot for today's journey through the F1 rumour mill, all the way to some actual confirmed news. And joining me on that journey as ever is Abby. How are you, Abby? Estoy bien, gracias, James. ¿Y tú? I live in France, not Spain. <laughs> Yay, we all know you can say hereth really nicely. Yes, I'm I'm all right, thanks. Uh, and Catherine, uh, language of your choice? I would talk to you in Maltese, but I don't think anyone knows what that is. So <laughs> I'll just say that I'm good and hope you're doing well too. Yeah, I've actually been to Malta a couple of times. It's a, it's a nice place. And finally, James, how is it going? Bonjour, James. Ça va bien et tout? Et toi, but very close, and we oui, merci. Uh, well, enough French, on with the news. Uh, and there's only one place to start. F1 has just confirmed that there will be six sprint races next season. So that's six sprints to add to the 24 regular Grand Prix, which means we're looking at 30 races of some sort next year. So apparently F1 and the teams had agreed to the increase back in April, but confirmation was delayed by the new FIA president, Mohamed Ben Salem, as the governing body assessed the impact of the extra workload on its staff. 
There are rumours that FIA basically wanted more money and that they've now backed down after F1 held firm on that. But either way, seemingly they decided six is fine after all and there hasn't been the opposition from the teams that there was as F1 unsuccessfully tried to increase the number this season. Now I've remained neutral so far in, in my introduction to this topic. So who wants to fly in with the first real opinion? It's crazy. Um, there it is. New 30 races. New <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, it, that's that's what that's thirty races. Do we know how the cost is going to be impacted by these increased uh, sprint races? Do we not? I haven't seen anything money? mentioned yet. No, I don't know if anyone else has. No, I haven't either. It would be interesting to see how that it will play out next year because, I mean, I thought like twenty four races was a lot, but now having thirty, I know sprints are shorter than that, but still, that's a huge amount considering we've gone from like twenty two last year. And then it was supposed to be 23, but obviously Russia's not on this year. So like that is a massive jump for the drivers, a massive jump. I mean, it's almost double like what I remember growing up. I, I know James is a similar era to me and it was, you know, it was like 17, 18, wasn't it? Like for most of my childhood and like young adult life. So yeah, okay, they are. They are sprints, but I, I think if anyone's listened to this podcast for a while, they'll know our opinions on sprints and it, it kind of matches up with the general populace of F1 fans. It, it seems anyway, I mean, F1 loves to say that the fans love sprint races and they quote numbers from surveys, some of which I've looked at and are normally a bit skewed to gain the answers they want, to be honest. But if you look at the reaction pretty much everywhere online, social media comments on articles, they're all overwhelmingly negative. What I'm intrigued to see is obviously the venues haven't been confirmed yet, but if we look at this year and then last year, that's only five venues in total with Silverstone, Monza, Interlagos, Imola and the Red Bull Ring. So if they keep those ones, I'm interested as to what the sixth one would be or if they're going to completely change them. I reckon they'll go to a modern circuit for the, for the sixth one. Um, something tells me it might be, it, they could well do Abu Dhabi and then make the final sprint weekend in uh, for the final race of the season. Which, which would make sense potentially. But uh, as you say, it's not confirmed yet, so we'll just have to, we'll have to wait and see. It increased the likelihood of a, a finale as well because obviously there are more points up to play for. So it's a good point. At least on double points though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm also intrigued to see how it will work out with tyres. So, because from next season, the teams will have new tyre regulations. So apparently... During practice, they will have to run the hard tire because then during Q1, they need to run that compound. And then during Q2, they need to run the medium. And during Q3, they need to run the soft. And I think I already didn't agree with that because out of how tires play their part in a race, it's already made it exciting. And I think having the sprint qualifying is just, it might either give teams less options or it just might give an advantage to other teams that will might make a race even more boring at some tracks. That's a good point. Uh, I actually saw a random comment somewhere today. I'd love to take this as my own idea, but just it wasn't even that I voted or anything, but someone was saying what they should do is set the sprint race grid from Q1 and the full race from Q3, or, you know, normal qualifying, which I, I don't hate. I've not seen that mentioned anywhere and I feel like it could work. It would 
you know, it would make qualifying again a bit more interesting, a little bit different. They like that. Oh, with you, it would. That's a, that is a very good idea. I think we were all nodding our heads. So we all have, we we represent a lot of the Formula One's fan base. So there is 100% agreement within Formula One that we want this. So uh, Formula One needs to get on and do it now. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, there's there's still lots up in the air for next year. But one thing that isn't up in the air is uh, the second driver at Alfa Romeo. Isn't that right? Yep, so today Alfa Romeo confirmed Joe Guan Yu for 2023. So Joe has been the only rookie this year and his announcement sparked some controversy before the season started. However, the first ever full-time Chinese Formula One driver has proved critics wrong and throughout the season we saw him make minimal mistakes and he displayed great maturity in my opinion and great teamwork, especially when there were times when he was running in the points and unfortunately things went wrong with his Alfa Romeo. And of course, it might be frustrating, but he still um, composed himself. Currently, he's 17th in the Drivers' Championship. He has six points, got his first point on his debut in Bahrain. And then the rest came in Montreal and Monza. And well, this leaves the 2023 grid with only three vacancies. So there is one at Alpine, there's one at Haas, and then there is another at Williams, because we've also heard that Latifi, or I like to call him Gotifi, will be leaving Formula One too at the end of the season. So for now, I would rather focus on Joe, who was the only rookie this season, and maybe we can all give him a rating from one to 10, because he has been pretty impressive. Just a quick note, I think Gotifi has only officially left Williams, right? I think, you know, he, he could pop up in that Alpine seat. We, we can't rule it out. Um, yeah, no, I think I think Joe's surprised a lot of people, to be honest, this year. And, you know, people saw him as a pay driver and he'd been in F2 for a few years and he hadn't won the championship and he's been solid. And yeah, he's had a lot of bad luck. Uh, I mean, so is Bottas in general. Alpha have had their fair share of issues, but... Yeah, I, I think I've been impressed with him and I'm glad he's getting a, a second season. So, oh yeah, out, out of 10? I don't know. For a rookie season, it's a, it's at least, it's a solid seven. Yeah, I think he's demonstrated a lot of maturity and promise in his rookie season. He certainly looks comfortable at Alfa Romeo. I'm glad that he's sticking with the team because it seems like it's the best place for him. And like Fred Vasseur said that Joe impressed from day one and he had the humility to actually ask questions and learn. Which I actually really like because, yes, people did think that he was a paid driver and he's only in F1 because of the money and the sponsorships and that. But it feels like he's actually there to learn and to actually demonstrate what a talent that he, he can be. Um, so I'm very happy that he is staying with Alfa Romeo. Like James, I'd probably give him a 7 out of 10. And with regards to the Latifi news, it was a long time coming. I think we all kind of knew that he wouldn't be with the team in 2023. I think he definitely will be leaving F1, even though that hasn't officially been confirmed, as James said. But I'm just interested to see who Williams will choose for the second seat alongside Albon. I can't really um, add anything else to, to, to the rest of you guys on, uh, on Joe. He's had a fantastic season, a scary season. He has literally been up in the air at one point as well. Um, I think we need to sometimes remember the, the, the crash he had. Because for some drivers, that would be enough to mentally change their approach. We've seen plenty of drivers have bad crashes and just never regain their speed. And Joe hasn't done that. He's always been, he's he's not quite been on Bottas's pace, but he's always been reasonably close by. So for that, I would probably give him, I would also give him a seven out of 10. 
Um, I think he's had a really good, strong season. As far as Goatifi is concerned, one, that is an awesome nickname, Catherine. I think that's something we should have come up with ages ago. Um, second of all, Abby, he is absolutely leaving F1. There's no way he can stay in the sport. Um, I, he's a lovely guy, but he's just not for Formula One. Um, I was going to give a driver reference from the, from the early 2000s, but I think not many people will know it. You might know him, James. You might remember him. Cool. Um, Gaston Mazakane. Oh, yeah. Minardi, yeah. Minardi Dry, yeah. yeah. I totally know him. I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. When I heard a... Gus, I thought you were going to say Gus Coyne. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wrong sport. Um, but uh, no, I, 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 he's a great. He's a great guy. He has. He's won a couple of races in Formula Two, but he never really had the full speed to stay in F1. And it's a shame because he is a fantastic guy, but he does need to go. Um, as far as the William C, who's going to get that? I'm going to go with Logan Sargent. That's going to who's going to get that seat, I reckon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I was asked by our um, head of Twitter, Richard, to do my best Justin Bieber impression of um, is it too late to say sorry for this story, which I will not be doing. Um, but the story is effectively Silverstone have admitted that they have, shall we say, somewhat cocked up um, the uh, the ticketing system uh, for this year, for, for next year's Grand Prix. Uh, coming out, and this is, this is from Stuart Pringle, uh, saying, as reported by The Guardian, saying, I'm extremely sorry for the frustration, upset, disappointment, and anger this has caused. We are going to do a root and branch review of all of, all of this. I'm not closing the door on doing anything differently next year. We will consider anything and everything. Nothing is off the table. We have learned a lot of lessons, and we can't have a repeat of this year. Uh, and it's also added that in light of what we know now, can we use a historic uh, model given the current popularity of F1? We have to look at that. It's one that we have such demand, but it's utterly regrettable that our fans have been subject to these challenges. We'll just have to sort it out and we will sort it out. Now, what I like about that, that's a bit of a politician-esque answer. It doesn't really give any detail of what actually is going to happen other than realizing they've got a bit of a media storm on their hands. So I'm quite intrigued to hear what you guys are going to think of this. Do we think that one, they'll go back to the old ways of the old ticketing system of 2021, or are we going to stick with this new lovely named dynamic pricing? What do we think? I think that probably they would have to go back to how it was in 2021. And the reason why is, so when I, when I saw this, I sort of like saw 
two points of view. I saw the business point of view from Stuart Pringle, and then I saw the fans point of view. So Stuart said that not long ago, the issue was whether we could stay in business. So basically, we all know that um, that Silverstone is until 2024. I don't think this has been confirmed any further yet. So there is still that uncertainty about whether the track will take part in Formula One again, which it probably should, to be fair. And then we need to also remember that the tracks, well, the organizers, they had COVID come in place too. So it was difficult for them because at that time, we didn't even know when we were going back to work, let alone when we were going to have another Grand Prix with people. So, of course, then F1 also increased because we had Drive to Survive and we're like, we need to take advantage of the opportunity, earn some more revenue, especially after the losses that they made after COVID. However, the risk of Silverstone not being on the calendar anymore or because COVID happened and so they made huge losses from that, that shouldn't like sort of fall on the fans. It shouldn't be the fans that have to pay for that. Because in reality, if we look at the attendance at Silverstone, you had in 2019, it was 251,000. 2020, we had COVID. 2021, it had 356,000. And this year, it was a sellout and it had over 400,000. So it shows you that the fans are on Silverstone's side. They still want to go, but... If they are going to adapt this sort of new ticketing system, they are going to lose the fans too. And that would put you more at risk at not being able to secure longer contracts to keep participating in F1, in my opinion. Does anyone know if they actually tested this ticketing system or this pricing system anywhere else before they did it for, you know, the British Grand Prix? Surely they did. Because if not, that's crazy. Well, what's particularly interesting with this as well is, aside from Silverstone, I believe Spa are now also starting to experience similar issues with their dynamic ticketing system, identical to what Silverstone has happened. So I'm guessing they probably didn't test it at Silverstone. They haven't tested it at Spa either. <laughs> I'm getting the feeling that they are treating this as an event like a, like a concert because... In his comments, he said that they weren't expecting the demand to be like an Adele or a Coldplay concert. So I, I don't know. I think they, they were like, you know what? People will just pay the money because they really want to come to Silverstone. I mean. Yeah, I think they kind of underestimated how many people would actually want tickets. And I think it's good that like they've apologized and they've they're aware that something's gone wrong and that they need to change it for the future to make sure that this never happens again because it it is bad for fans and it is bad for Silverstone like having the site crash and the amount of the cost of the tickets go up it it kind of reduces the audience that you can get because not everyone can pay for those tickets so yes we can be diehard F1 fans and we would want to go to a Grand Prix like Silverstone but if we're not able to pay that, then we can't. So it's good that they've apologised. I think they didn't quite anticipate the rush of people to actually buy the tickets. Hopefully they can figure it out for next year. I know Stuart Pringle said that nothing is off the table. Hopefully they figure out a way that it will actually work smoothly and not cause enough problems like it did this year. But time will tell. Well, moving on from one person saying it's too late to say sorry to someone who won't say sorry at all. And yes, that was a terrible uh, Ronan Keating and Justin Bieber 
combination that will never, ever reach the charts. But I'm talking about Oscar Piastri and Laurent Rossi. Lauren Rossi has come out recently again and has said that Piastri should be thankful for, for the work that uh, they did with him over the course of the years of, as, as an Alpine Academy driver and has said directly, he would have driven us after Alonso had left. He told uh, Auto Motor and Sport, and McLaren and us are about the same strength, but we are a factory team. That is a competitive advantage. He grew up in this team. He knows everyone in our team. We've shown commitment to him. Shouldn't he be a bit grateful for that? Oscar would do well to, to be fast and deliver results next year. Even if he comes to new Michael Schumacher, this story will stick with him forever. Now, I'm not going to rant because I've done enough of those recently, but I am going to say that I think they need to really, I think Alpine need to start just leaving this alone because if I'm honest, I'm starting to feel a bit of Christian Horner-esque vibes coming from Laurent Rossi. Um, just a dog with a bone who can't let it go. Uh, combine that, I think also with the fact he seems to be referring to Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher did indeed come into Formula One with a contract issue. Uh, and was also subject to a contract issue after he left. So it's not exactly a bad uh, comparison to be given to. I mean, we can't compare him to Michael Schumacher properly. The guy's never turned a car in anger yet. But I'm just keen to get your thoughts. I mean, we just—I know we discussed Lauren Rossi last week. But what do we got? What do you guys think about one uh, Lauren Rossi's continued comments and Alpine's continued attack on Piastri? Uh, and second of all, what do we think about Al the, the say that Alpine is a factory team? Therefore, therefore, it gives them a competitive advantage over McLaren. What do we think? Firstly, I just want to appreciate the comparison to Michael Schumacher as a Ferrari fan. I'm sorry, but you cannot do that. It's just the the man is a seven time world champion. So please. And um, jokes aside, though, firstly, I just think that Alpine, they need to talk when uh, when Piastri actually shows that maybe he made a mistake, because in reality, we do need to keep in mind that this is going to be his first drive in like a year, like his proper drive. And it's going to be a new car too. So it is normal for a driver to still have to get in grips with the car. He will be treated bad, badly by the media and probably Alpine will take the opportunity when he isn't doing as well at the beginning. But I feel like now they need to let this go and they need to make way for new drivers and learn from their mistakes too, because we cannot really solely blame it on Oscar Piastri. I think if a driver wants to join another team, it is not always because the other team maybe has something better, but maybe it's because the other team isn't doing something well too. And about Alpine being like a factory team and that, I think... People sometimes tend to forget that McLaren are still one of the best automotive companies. Okay, they do not produce normal road cars, but they still produce some of the best supercars, in my opinion. And I don't think that they should be underestimated. And especially with the developments they're making into Formula E, into Extreme E. So they are such, and they have been in the sport for so long. They have survived many bad periods that I think it's a bit disrespectful to McLaren to even say that about them. No one's come out of this particularly well, I don't think. I mean, yeah, Oscar's decisions are a lot more understandable now that we know, like as more of the stories emerged, it's, yeah, you can see why he's done it. And the fact that it seems to be a bit chaotic, let's say behind the scenes at Alpine, you can see why he didn't have faith in the team, despite you know the the faith they've shown in him. It is right. I mean, yeah, I, I disagree for for the most part with Rossi, and I don't like the the way he's taken it. I think yeah, Alpine need to do some some PR work because they 
they're becoming a bit of a laughing stock, to be honest. But but he does have a point that Oscar now has to perform. He has set the bar very high by almost kind of just by being so in demand, seemingly without having actually ever, as James says, turned a wheel in anger. Yeah, I think because he seems to be the driver that was the most sought after this during this silly season. He excelled in the feeder series and now he's with McLaren. Having left Alpine, he will be partnering Lando Norris, who Nico Rosberg keeps saying is a future world champion and who is very talented behind the wheel. And having that year out with Alpine, I do think the pressure will be on Oscar and everyone will be looking at him. When it comes to the first race, everyone will be looking at him to see how he performs, whether he can challenge Lando or whether he'll echo Daniel Ricciardo this year and not have that great results compared to Lando. With Alpine, I can... They're very aggrieved by what's happened, and I get that, but it does seem to be like this continuous thing that just never seems to be ending at the moment. It's just continuous. Like Every week there's a new comment or a new attack against Oscar. It's like, okay, he's left you. It didn't go the way you want. He's with McLaren. Focus on filling your second seat because we've only got six races to go and then the winter break, but you need to like narrow it down. They had like 14 drivers at one point, so they need to actually determine that. But yeah, with the Alpine and being a factory team against McLaren, I agree, completely agree with Catherine. I think McLaren shouldn't be underestimated. They've been in F1 for years and years and years. And I think they they could come back next year battling Alpine and win because they are extending themselves into like every aspect of motorsport. I'm pretty sure, like, I don't think there's one that they don't have apart from NASCAR. So McLaren should not be underestimated. You're not even wearing your McLaren top this week, but you still got the, still obviously a fan. Uh, but how about telling us about uh, one of your not as favourite teams? Not that I'm sure you have anything to say against them. Aston Martin. (laughs) Yeah, so Dan Fallows, who did work at Red Bull, moved to Aston Martin this year as the technical director. Now, we all know Aston Martin haven't performed very well this year. I've been at the back of the grid. But 2023, according to Dan Fallows and the team, will be a big step forward. They're hoping that they can take steps in the right direction. And they believe that the AMR23 will be a much more competitive car and they're confident that they can do well. However, they do know that it takes years to become a race winning team, a championship winning team. So they are realistic about those goals, but they have faith that they can improve next year. And Fellow said that watching Aston Martin now feels very similar to what happened at Red Bull when they came from Jordan, I believe. Was it Jordan? Jaguar. Jaguar. When they came from Jaguar. So that gives that gives me faith. Obviously he was with Red Bull and now he's with Aston Martin. But I'm not sure that they will make big steps forward. I think they'll take some, not necessarily big. What do you guys think? You know, the same colour as Jaguar. <laughs> I'm not sure beyond that how far the similarities stretch. No, yeah, that's probably where the similarities end. I mean, Dan Fallows could never come out and say publicly that the team's going to struggle next year. He can't do that. And to be honest, I really don't see how they can take a gigantic step forward. To be fair, it's not. it won't take much for them to be a step forward from this year's performance. It's not been great, as we all know. Uh, but Dan Fallows couldn't come out publicly and say that, say that because you just don't do that when you join a new team or when you're trying to publicize your team. 
I, I think that the, I think they'll go from they'll go from going out in Q1 all the time to maybe regular Q2 appearances, possibly the odds sneaking into Q3. A bit like George Russell was um, in the Williams last year, but I really don't see them getting much beyond that. Um, even with Fernando Alonso in the car, who, bear in mind, with Fernando Alonso in that car, when the team starts struggling, he will be vocal and he will be difficult to work for. I'd have to agree with James on this one. And also, it's because I do not think that they will be as good until 2026 when the new engine regulations come in. And hopefully, when they start producing their own engines too, as they had rumoured to. It's just... Aston Martin, they buy so many other components from other teams. Like they have the rear suspension and the gearbox. They're all bought from Mercedes. That is just, they do not have much space for them to actually develop the car on their own design. They have to adapt to other people's designs. And that is just not going to work for them and for the drivers that they have. I mean, they've they've not got a bad race car this year. It's just qualifying. They've been awful. They generally recover. I mean, I think Lance has finished 11th in practically every race. So obviously the points aren't there, but you see in free practice and then the race that they're they're kind of up there. And in terms of, yeah, you know, what you were saying, James, about them sneaking into Q3, that's where they should be. That's in terms of, yeah, if they were matching their race pace or their race potential. So, I mean, we'll see. It's so hard to say. And this early in a in a new set of regulations, anyone can kind of jump massively up the field year to year uh, i mean yeah it can take years or you can do a brawn obviously that's not going to happen the second year but, but yeah i mean i hope to see them closer to the front they have the potential everyone you know always said how well they did punching above their weight as force india and then you know oh can you imagine what they're going to do with an actual budget and then they've just gone backwards so i really hope they they do get closer to the front and yeah just bunch out at least the top of the midfield a bit um, but that's about all we've got time for this week, I think. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com to check out the latest news and, of course, on all your usual socials. And then go and check out the Cut to the Race podcast. In the most recent episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing former F1 driver and Formula E champion Lucas Degrassi. who had some interesting ideas about a promotion relegation system in F1 and the junior series. Well worth checking out. And of course, we'll be back with the race review after Sunday's Singapore Grand Prix. But that's you up to date with the world of F1 for now. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Always a pleasure. Never true. And we'll see you next week for more. Makes but we won't see you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, you'll hear us. That, that's yeah. about it. Uh, yes, we'll be back to catch you up soon enough. But for now, it's mics off and away we go till next week. Is that, is that corny? Is that too bad? I thought of that. I might stick with it. It's corny, but it works. <laughs> You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.